Well, good morning, guys, and welcome to church at the movies, where we're not only at the movies, but we're going to talk about the movies today. My name is Patrick Fowler. I'm one of the pastors here at One Church, and I get the privilege of kind of talking about a movie that really just blew me away last year that I'm dying to share with you guys. So my main responsibilities here at One Church are really over next steps and small groups, which really means that when you're ready to take church and your faith beyond Sunday morning, I want to move heaven and earth, and my team wants to make whatever step you're ready to take easy, simple, and exciting. And so um, if it's baptism, if it's getting into a small group, that's what I mainly do on Sunday mornings. Uh, So if you're here for the first time, I'm not the regular speaker, but I'm here to speak a little bit today about, again, a movie that really blew me away. So... Uh, last year, about this time, uh, somebody showed me a movie that just really just really wrecked my world in a big way. And I love it when movies do that because it really just gives me new perspective on what life can look like. And I believe that Jesus was a guy who liked to wreck people's worlds as well. And so this morning, we're going to examine a movie that you probably haven't seen. Uh, it's not mainstream. It's not recent. It's not one of those sappy Christian movies, just in case you're getting a little nervous right now, Okay. Um, but it is a movie that I just thought was incredible last year. And so without further ado, we're going to watch the trailer, and then we're going to dive into both the movie and what I think God can teach us through this portrayal of life. So watch this. This is what winter in America feels like. Oh, and Nims are on that list! <laughs> yes, clothes, Carrie. Pick up who? I'm just supposed to help them find jobs. You must be the guys from uh, Somalia, Senegal. Sudan. Did your luggage come down the chute? Great. Where is your husband? No, I'm not married. I provide for myself. Your survival skills are very impressive. Thanks. I'll call you tomorrow morning and we'll start the job hunt. I need your help. Are there any dangerous animals in this area? Such as lions. (laughs) No, there's no lions here. You're safe. What's their story anyway? I'm not sure. They seem pretty traumatized. Made my way to the borderline. I had 34 brothers and sisters, and they all died but one. And she need to be here with us. You don't have an appointment. Who do I have to screw around here to see an immigration supervisor? Me. Thanks, Cupcake. That's going to be a problem. All flights from the Kakuma refugee camp have been stopped. Since 9-11, the program here has stopped indefinitely. She's a child refugee of war. You sure you're ready to take this on? Definitely. being asked to make choices no one should have to make. I don't think they're going to make it if they're not together. I will pray for you. ERD. ERD? It is our special name for you. It means great white cow. Well, it's better than a lot of things I've been called. There is a reason you do not have a husband. Okay, thank you so much. 
If you've ever seen uh, or been around a person who's new to the U.S., uh, you know it's awfully funny, the mistakes we make culturally. Uh, this movie is not only funny, um, but is it exciting, and it really portrays a part of the world that, to be honest, I just didn't know a lot about. And uh, I love movies that open my eyes, and to be honest, this one was a bit of a surprise to me because I'm the kind of guy who's, who's on the news app just about once a day. Um, you know, I've, I see NPR, uh, the Associated Press, Leaf Chronicle, Yahoo, Fox, CNN, MSN. I, I've looked at news from all of those sources, and I look at it regularly. But to be honest, something struck me about the fact that I really was unaware of a lot of what's happening in the world today. I remember last May. Last May, I saw this little side article on a webpage that I clicked on because I thought it was interesting. It was about boats capsizing in the Mediterranean Sea. And I thought, it looks interesting. But as I read more about it, what struck me was it wasn't a couple of boats capsizing. It was a bunch. As a matter of fact, over a 1,000 migrants die every month, drowning in the sea, trying to get to places like Italy to seek asylum. And I thought, where was this? How is, that, how is it that the nine headlines out of ten that are dedicated to Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, I don't get this as number ten? How come this is hidden in the background of life? And it infuriated me. And when I watched this movie last year, it further just kind of impressed upon me this idea that, uh, that I'm blind to so much of what is going on in the world. Now, the movie portrays an old reality. The movie portrays the refugee crisis that was mainly centered around Sudan in the 90s when there was civil war in that country. And when um, the military was literally destroying villages and adults and kids alike were journeying across the, the country trying to find refuge in another country. These kids in this movie walk 785 miles. 785 miles barefoot. I can't even begin to comprehend what that looks like. And along the way, they're fighting for food. They're fighting off lions. They're hiding from the military. And they're hoping to find enough water not to dehydrate along the journey. But you know what's true about that crisis is also true today. Believe it or not, the, the crisis with displaced peoples is larger today than it has ever been. By the time this message is over, there'll be almost 1,000 people who've been displaced. 24 a minute become displaced or refugees in a sense. And that's amazing to me. And I don't know why I'm not hearing that in the news. And it's not just war that causes this, although war is a big cause. Um, last year, let me just give you the big numbers. Last year, 70,000 were displaced due to flooding in Mozambique and Malawi. 100,000 due to an earthquake in Nepal. 90,000 due to um, flooding in Japan. And a million due to an earthquake in Chile. That's incredible. And I don't know why I don't see that. That means that almost 1% of the world's population lives in a state of displacement. And that's larger than it's ever been in the history of at least as long as we've tracked it. Definitely since long before World War II. And uh, I just I begin to wonder, where was that in the news? I feel like sometimes that I end up with one of these over my face. That I'm just not seeing the world as it really meant to be. And uh, that bothers me. And um, again, I, I start to realize some of the reasons behind this. I mean, our, our news media certainly takes issue with what is most entertaining and gets the most clicks. And so that's usually politics and that's usually uh, significant events. Uh, occasionally one internationally like Brexit, which consumed the headlines for a couple of weeks. These people don't have a lot of technology. They're not uh, swimming in Wi-Fi, so they can't post live video on Facebook. They don't create crowdfunding campaigns. Um, 
And I'm not here just to talk about refugees. Refugees is a, something the movie kind of awakened my eyes to, but it's more than that. I mean, I could just as easily talk about the crisis with veterans here in our local community. I could talk about uh, in our own community and, and in Montgomery County, the crisis with kids needing foster care and needing someone who can uh, be with them in, in the, the sense of being parents for a season. Um, that we could talk about disabilities or so many other causes. But so often my struggle is I find myself not seeing the world as it should be and not being moved to compassion because I simply don't see it. And I think something that God really wants to break in us is this tendency towards blindness. And so um, as I look at Jesus' ministry especially, I see that he was kind of a, a... miracle worker in the sense that he would get people to stop being blind. I mean, if you think about his ministry, every time you read about Jesus, he's followed by crowds. And some of those are followers, people who want to learn more about who Jesus is and what he was doing. But a lot of those are people drawn because Jesus healed people, because he fed people, because he cast demons out of people. And people in desperate circumstances would travel even hundreds of miles to see Jesus because they desperately needed a miracle, because they desperately needed healing. Some of them were so poor that they didn't even bring meals. And so Jesus actually fed them before sending them home. And uh, I can't imagine that the people who were following Jesus to learn more from him, to get closer to their faith, missed the fact that there were people in need constantly surrounding them. In fact, most of Jesus' ministry happened right around his hometown and the hometowns of his followers. And I can't imagine that the disciples didn't at some point get struck by the fact that These people were people they knew, possibly neighbors, and they just never truly saw them and saw their need for what it was. I think Jesus exposed need, and I think he really cared for people. And there's a verse that really has been um, critical to my ministry the past couple of years. It keeps following me around that kind of capsulizes this, and it's, it's something that Matthew wrote and recorded that Jesus did. And I'll put it up on the screen for you guys. It says uh, that when Jesus saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. He said, so pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers. I believe that's a great summary statement of Jesus' heart and his ministry. In fact, I know that it was a big part of his ministry because when Jesus left, not only did he ask his followers to pray that God would send more workers, but he actually sent them. In fact, one of the phrases that we use, one of the last statements Jesus made was he said, I want you guys to go to the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus didn't want any part of the world to be without the presence of the church because he knew that the the message was essential to eternal life but also that the care of people who had been redeemed by God was essential to making this life work as well. So I think God wants us to be open-minded toward the world, and I think he wants us to see it for what it really is. And it's never more possible than it is today, because today we get news, as Luther said, in an instant. We can see around the world in an instant, and we can actually send aid instantly as well, which is pretty cool. Um, the other thing about this that is striking to me is this need isn't just overseas. This need isn't really just far away and hidden from us. It's right here. The U.S., for all of the debate about it, takes in the most refugees of any country in the world today. They take in about 60,000 a year. And most of those end up in places like the major cities, Atlanta and Dallas and Nashville. And many of those people who are first put in Nashville find their ways to places like Clarksville. 
You may have had someone cut your grass or do your nails who's coming out of a refugee or a displaced state. And my real question to you is the question that God asked me. He said, are you seeing those people? Do you really see people who have needs? Are they really jumping out at you? And again, this in part comes and is portrayed really well in the movie. That four refugees, as you saw in the the movie, um, who've journeyed across their country and into Kenya for refuge. They find themselves in the U.S. They get selected as a select few to come to the U.S. and try to make a better life. But when they get here, though they're in a land that has opportunity and has some prosperity and certainly is more stable than where they were at before, without help, without somebody to help them, they end up split up. Their sister ends up displaced from them. And they end up ignored. And because of that, they fight amongst themselves and life gets pretty rough. And I've got a long clip in this next clip to show you of different scenes where people just miss the fact that these incredible people with these incredible stories are right there with them. And then you see how it takes its toll on these three brothers. Watch this with me. Okay. No. Abitaal Bang? Bang. No, I'm sorry. She's not on this list. Please, you must look again, please. Let's see. Abitaal Deng! Abitaal Deng! She's here. She's not on my list. She's on mine. Yes, but she belongs on the Kansas City list. Right, but not anymore. INS rules are the females have to be placed with families. Family in Boston wants to take her. But this is her family. You cannot take her from us. Those are the rules. We'll be together again. All of you. I must go to school and work very hard. Be strong. Let us pray. Dear God, let us give thanks to this miracle food pizza. But most important, look out after our sister, Abital, so that she's safe in this Boston where her brothers are not there to protect her. Mm. Amen. Amen. something at work today. It's called a joke. Tell us. Why did the chicken cross the road? Why did the chicken cross the road? To get to the other side. (laughs) (laughs) Follow me uh, this way. Where are you guys from, anyway? Sudan. Okay, so this is the dog food section, and you have to restock it all the time, and the bags can be really heavy. Food for dogs? Mike? Jerry? Mike? Jerry? Grab these couple of carts. Push them out back with me. Roll them down right here. Okay. 
where you throw the old food so you can restock the shelves with the new food. Old food? When the food expires, it's not safe to eat. Plus, it's a big headache with the health department. Believe me, it's better this way. Isn't there someone who might want or need this food? I don't sell the food inside the store to give it away outside. I'm a businessman. Anyway, it's none of your concern. So, what brings you to the United States? My parents were killed in the Civil War in Sudan, and my sister were taken as slaves. I'm sorry, dude. I gotta ask. What happened? This? A lion. Serious, a lion. Okay. Yeah, it's a lion. <laughs> From Africa, it's a lion. Come on. The smell of this lion was very sweet like rain. That was a surprise to me. He put his mouth onto the leg of my brother. I tried to pull the lion off, but he clawed me. Whoa, man, you're serious. Lions do not leave the bones of their meals the way vultures does. They take it with them. To their family. And share them. I need to speak to Abital Deng right away. What city? The city of Boston, please. Can you spell the name? D-E-N-G. You must find her, please. Calm down, sir. I need an address. Please. You must help me. I need to speak to Abital Deng. Hello? movie's not without its sad parts and its funny parts. And as you see in the movie, the saddest part at all, I think, is that these 
four, these three men and their sister live in the U.S. and nobody ever gets to know them. And because they don't know them, they never get involved. And without somebody involved, life tends to fall apart. It's a powerful story of what community can do and what lack of community also, what that effect, ha- what effect that has. And as you saw in this last clip, Carrie, who's just there to get them jobs, that's her, she's an employment agency employee. She finally sees enough of them to get to know them. And getting to know them, she finds out their sister's not with them, got separated. And she is so moved by their plight and their situation that she decides she's going to actually, she's going to take steps, she's going to get involved. And what happens is, she brings these three brothers back together, and then she brings the sister back together. And her involved with these people who are very different from her, who she has very little in common with, is what makes not only their lives better, but her life infinitely better as well. So I want to jump right to this next clip of Carrie getting involved and what that, what uh, surprise that ends up bringing for this family. You don't have an appointment. Yeah, I know. I just stood in line for two hours for you to tell me that. We have an opening in three months. Oh, no, I'm not leaving here until I see a supervisor. Me. Great. Thanks, Cupcake. If you're telling me the reason they were separated is because there was no host family here for her, then you're going to have to find one. Otherwise, there's no chance. Thanks for coming over on such short notice. Yeah, sure. I know you're busy on Sundays with charge and everything, so thanks for coming. Uh-huh. I need your help. Yeah, you do. I'm just wondering what you think of this room, whether I could turn it into, you know, a bedroom, maybe fix it up, get rid of some of this stuff. I'm wondering if you think it'd be good enough for the INS to approve me hosting a refugee. Or if your agency would even back me up on that. If you can get the whole house presentable and not just this room, yeah. I think you can get approval. What's wrong with the rest of the house? Really? (laughs) All right. So where do we begin? Uh, Why don't you make us some coffee? I have tequila. Praise the Lord. Great. These Christmas decorations are very elaborate, yes? Oh, I go all out for Christmas. I make my own baby Jesuses out of paper mache. But Santa Claus doesn't come to Sudan. Well, he's coming here. So what time should we be expecting him? (laughs) Very late at night. And only if you're good. Sounds like a bugler to me. (laughs) Hey, Ramir, I left some groceries on the porch. Can you help me? Yes. Oh, 
You know, getting involved in somebody's life brings them great joy, but it also has the effect of bringing us great joy as well so often. Uh, Bill Heibel is a good friend and a pastor that I follow, says it this way. He says, we're designed like God is designed to get joy out of being in others' lives and helping others. And uh, that's no more true than what you see in the smiles of everybody involved in that little clip there. You know, Jesus wanted us to know this and experience this. And, and there's one more story from his life that really jumps out to me that I've got to share with you guys. And you probably have heard it before, but I hope I can put it in a little bit new light today. Because you see, again, it struck me with, with where I'm at. I'm a passionate Jesus follower. I try to put everything together. I feel like I'm doing a good job, but so often I miss a crucial factor. And this man uh, comes up who's a religious leader. He's an expert. And uh, he asked Jesus at one point, something that you probably have read, where um, he says, what's most important? And the two phrases that come out are, love God with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself, which later found its way into the golden rules we like to call it here in the U.S. He knew the answer, this, this religious expert. In fact, he, Jesus isn't the one who says, love God and love your neighbor. It's the religious man. And Jesus says, you got it right. What do you need my help for? But the religious man gets a little uncertain, and so he asks a bigger question, and one I want you guys to ask with me this morning. He asks the question, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And the story that Jesus goes on to tell is the story of a man who is beaten and robbed and left for dead on a desert road. And three people pass the man. The first two are pastors, actually, priests and Levites, if you want to be technical, but essentially, in modern terms, they're pastors. And they walk up to view of the man and then literally cross the road to the other side and go around him. They just don't see him for who he really is. And then this religious outcast, this normal person or person scorned by the church, comes by and sees the man. And he has so much compassion that he picks this man up, literally bandages his wounds, puts him on his form of transportation, his donkey, and then walks him to a place to stay. A hotel, or even, if you want to think of it again in modern terms, almost a hospital. And there the man uh, gives him care and gets him recouped and makes sure he's going to survive. Because on the desert road, beaten and robbed, he was as good as dead. We get caught up in the hero of the story who, let's be honest, is a pretty amazing hero. Um, not only does he help the man, not only does he get him to a safe place, but he writes a blank check for the inn and says, whatever else he needs, I'll take care of that. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't read very many stories or meet very many people who are willing to write a blank check to the hospital for somebody's care that they don't know. And I think though we say the Good Samaritan and we applaud the Good Samaritan and we talk about the Good Samaritan... The bigger point I want to make today is the question that prompted Jesus to even tell the story. This question, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Because see, the dramatic truth is nobody in this story knew one another. Nobody has names. Nobody's in geographic, lives next door to one another. It's just a stranger who meets another total stranger on the road. 
And that's where it hits me. That's where that story hits home with me right now. It's because I'm so wrapped up in my own world trying to get things done that so often I don't see the people who are right in front of me who have needs. Or I get so wrapped up in the big story like the thousand migrants dying a month that I think there's nothing I can do. Which really is not true, especially in today's world, but it's what I say to myself. And so this morning, what I want to do with this movie and with Jesus' words is I want to just encourage you to not just feel compassion for people, but to commit to doing concrete action for the total strangers you meet that you find that are in need, that you feel like God is calling you to help. It's not going to be everyone, but you're going to, if you will open your eyes and see everyone, God will point you at people who can help. I don't want you to just change your profile picture uh, to support some great cause next time it comes along. I want you to actually open your wallets or open your minds or even travel over and help those people. And let God not only work in their lives, but work in yours as well. Because both of us are transformed in the transaction that happens. That's the beauty and the magic and the excitement. So I want you to think of things that you can do on a monthly or a weekly or a daily basis that will increase your compassion and get you more involved in helping other people. And to be honest, this is where I kind of struggle because I don't know what exactly God wants. I don't want you to just think I'll do this for the next random stranger that shows up, but to really consider something you could do on a regular basis. Certainly and absolutely, as I have done, I want you to encourage you to change your news feed. That if you're one of those people who is trying to see what's happening in the world, to make sure that you scroll over to the world news and not just to the local news. Not just concern yourself with national and state and local politics, but something greater than that. I would encourage you to take your gifts, whether you're good at fixing cars or houses or computers, and when you get the opportunity, if you're a car person, when you see somebody broke down on the side of the road, that you stop and try to offer some assistance. That you let God call you through something you're really good at to help other people who could really benefit. For me, it also looks like adopting a compassion kid and actually writing to him because I love that kind of interaction and because it makes it personal for me to actually correspond with somebody that I'm not only sending money to, but corresponding with their church who's leading them and helping them. It may be serving weekly at a pregnancy center, a radical mission, or even here at our church, which is a great opportunity to get a bigger heart, especially for kids. It may mean something crazy like every week you host somebody to dinner that isn't in your normal circle of friends. Get to know them and their lives and their ideas so that you can serve them and pray for them better. I don't know. Those are some suggestions, but ultimately, I just want you to, I want you to see that the big idea today, that loving your neighbor, one of the most important things we can do, it looks like seeing and serving strangers in need. Seeing and serving strangers in need. I want you to see everyone. I want you to see the world and be moved for compassion with those places and those people who need that compassion. And then I want you to be compelled to serve someone that God puts in front of you in need on a regular basis. Hopefully a stranger. Another person put it this way, and I love the way this is stated. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. When it's a big need, when it's thousands of people or hundreds of thousands of people, do for one of them what you wish you could do for every one of them. Why? Because the world does need it. They are in dire need of help. Because you will be transformed by it, and you need that. And because Jesus called us to it. Jesus wants us 
to be moved with compassion and serve. Make a habit of seeing and serving strangers in need. And if you want something else that's a little bit goofy, but a great reinforcers, take back something that's really selfish. Everybody know what this is? Yeah, this is a selfie stick, people. Get with the program here. So if you need to post yourself on Facebook, this is the diehard equipment that you must have. So you've got a little clicky button here so you can snap the shutter on your phone. You just hold it up here, get that nice pose going, and then you click the button. So often we journal our lives online or in our phones. And it's not a bad thing. I love going back through Facebook's this day in your life, this day what you posted on Facebook or somebody posted about you. So I would encourage you, as you get the chance to serve people and do special things, don't make a broadcast of it, but find a way to save it. Take a selfie with the person that you're helping serve. Not as a, hey, I'm helping serve this person, but this is a new friend I made. This is a neighbor that I got to know today. So that in a year when Facebook reminds you or the next time you go through your phone to print some pictures off of you and your kids, you're reminded of all the awesome people God let you serve, put in your life to serve. There's lots of ways we can reinforce it. It's a little goofy, but trust me, it's exciting. I love going back and looking at the the trips I've taken and the people I've met and the churches I've been a part of. I love looking at what God has done in the past four years that I've been here. And every time I see it, I think, God, please keep me there. I really want to keep seeing what you have to do in Clarksville, Tennessee at one church. I love being a part of that. So make a habit of seeing everyone and serving someone. Make a habit of seeing everyone and serving someone. That's my challenge for you today because I feel like God has called us to that. Now, I should end there, and I am going to end. But before I do, let me just make a quick confession. I haven't given you the best part of the movie yet, and I just don't have time to. You don't even know why it's called The Good Lie. And I'm sorry, but um, I told you I was going to try to get you to watch this movie. So this is going to be my shameless plug for you going out and watching it. And you can harass me about it, but hey, it's, it's an older movie. You can probably get on Amazon or Hulu or for a couple of bucks to rent it. And it's worth watching. And let me say this, though, about the end and the part and the reason you want to watch this. One of the other motivators that's really powerful in our lives to seek and to serve other people is this idea that we are paying forward what's been paid to us. That if someone's ever served you well, you feel the need to say thank you in a way that they would really feel that you want to give back. Some of you are soldiers in this room. You want to pay back somebody you can't because somebody took a bullet for you in a dramatic place in a dramatic way. We as Christians feel like God took the bullet for us. And a lot of what we do to seek and to serve is to pay it forward because we can't see Jesus face to face and we can't thank him enough for what he's done. Well, in the good lie, the group of four was once five and the oldest boy gives his life so that these four can make it to the refugee camp and make it to Africa or make it to the U.S. eventually. And Mimir who honestly should have been the one who gave up his life, who was caught by soldiers at one point, but whom his older brother Theo pulled down in the bushes and jumped up in his place. Mir finds out 15 years down the road, 
His brother's alive. And Mimir gets to do something that we all wish we could do. We all wish we could look Jesus face to face. We all look, wish we could thank a parent who's passed away or a soldier who stood in our place and say thank you. And Mimir does it in a unique way that will make this movie stick in your mind forever. But my challenge to you is if you need another motivation for why you serve people and why you have open eyes and why you connect with people, it's because every time you serve somebody else, you do look Jesus in the face and you do say thank you and you pay him back in the way that he wants it paid back. He doesn't want it paid back to him. He wants it paid forward to somebody else. So in your way, however God can prompt you or move you or challenge you, See the world better and serve someone regularly. Let me pray for you guys. Father, this is one of those messages that it's taken a really long time to get from my head to my heart. And so I pray that your spirit will help us do that this morning in our own way as your followers, God. I pray that you can help us to understand how to see the world and see everyone and have compassion more than we do now. And God, I pray that you can not only help us have compassion, but act in compassion. So guide us and strengthen us, God. Give us the opportunity for your spirit to move. In Jesus' name I pray.